Hey, what's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Live Free Podcast. Um, today, my guest is Nathan Simmons. He's an old friend of mine. Uh, we talk about Freemasonry, religion, politics, Prop 19, and uh, ethics in general. So sit back and enjoy. of all ages was I think like when I first really started understanding how all the symbology was linked throughout yeah. modern history human history yeah like that book fucked my head up big time <laughs> yeah it opens doors that yeah. were definitely closed yeah but you know what it also did it also made me an atheist it was part of what caused really? my atheism yeah, yeah. you know because I was I was an atheist for a solid six years yeah you know I went Catholic, agnostic, atheist. Mm. And the, the reasoning was, we're taught in Western culture that, that every other myth is wrong and that Christianity is the, is the true way to God. Yeah, we have the best ice cream. Right, else right. Ice cream stinks, yeah. So I get that book and I'm like, holy shit, these are all the same stories told over and over and over again. Yeah. If all these are bullshit, this one's bullshit. All you motherfuckers are full of shit, and nothing happens. You you guys are all just tricking us. You know what I mean? Like, that was my mentality. Yeah. And it turned out quantum physics brought me out of atheism and sort of back to agnosticism, where I realized that I don't know anything. Yeah. You know, I don't know what happens after we die. Yeah. I don't pretend to know what all these biblical texts means. I mean, I think it's all allegorical for human existence and, you know, how to elevate yourself to, like, a status of divinity, you yeah. know. Stories to improve yourself. Right. Yeah. And not, not so much a literal interpretation of anything. No. Very but again, then, but, but fuck, I don't know. I just look at life as that everything is way too complicated. You can look at nature and look how nature works and how each thing needs each other to survive and how, say, for instance, fate how you believe in fate and certain things happen in your life that it's fate. It's just going to happen. There's paths that are put in front of you in life and determines which way you go. I feel like those paths are already been put out. It's up for you to make the right decision to go down them. And, you know, life's too complicated. I know that all there's so much other little religions and they claim this, this claim this, all these stories. But I know for a fact that there had to be a God behind all this. And so I just keep it simple and I believe in God. And I know if there was a God, he would want me to treat everybody on this earth the way I'd want to be treated and to respect and love him with all my heart. So I just keep it like that. I just keep it simple as can be. Do you think there's a need by, by, by making a statement like, I know there is a God, that you, just by making a statement like that, you have to define it? You have well, to I've define had, I've what had one God opportunity is. in my life where it made me really think about that. Proved to me that there was a God. But do you think God is something definable? I don't think he's an old man with a beard hanging yeah. up in the sky or nothing like that. Yeah. I kind of believe he's the essence. He's a, he's the great spirit. He's the one that, uh, the reason that all is created. And then weird how just like, just the, the process of thinking about it, mm-hmm. like we have to humanize it. Yeah. Like it, it just, it has to be something that our brains just do because it's not capable of, of going. Like I know it is capable of going beyond humanizing everything, but like, like the way we treat our pets, and like we we always humanize everything. Either that, or we dehumanize everything. <laughs> That's true, right? We yeah. dehumanize everything as a way to to stop associating with things. Like we see that with when we call uh, another human being an illegal alien. Like basically, that's saying you're not human. Now, I, mean, I know that has a lot of other like racial connotations, but just mm-hmm. using the the linguistics behind that. Well, it's putting them down as lower human. status. And yeah, and it allows, status. it allows you to treat people yeah. differently. Yeah. It gets weird when you start defining things, especially yeah. something like God, because what if, like, I, 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 I tend to... everywhere and everything. I tend to think that... But I, I'm not right. I right. don't know. I, I, I no agree. I, that's yeah. exactly, I'm the same way. Yeah. But I, I know for a fact it's not what they got written down in the books. And yeah. They don't have the answers because yeah. no one has the answers. Right. So how can they, you know, you know, the Mormons, they say they got the answer. 
And then the Christians, they got the answer. Muslims, hey, we got the answer. Catholic, no, we got the answer. Mm -hmm. And it goes around in all cultures. We all have the answer. You're wrong, I'm right. You're going down, I'm going up. Yeah. I'm going to do good because, you know what, I want that reward and I fear punishment. And that's yeah. what it all comes down to. So I'm doing good because, you know, I'm expecting this reward later down the road. Yeah. And I fear the punishment that's going to happen if I don't do good. Right. So. It's a, it's, it's human mentality. Yeah. It's, it's avoid pain and, and gather as much pleasure as, as possible. Yeah. But sometimes we get that shit distorted. And the things that we think are bringing us pleasure are actually causing us pain, pain in the long run. And vice versa. Yeah. You know? So I just got a mailbox full of um, political endorsements, which are <laughs> ridiculous and so full of shit. It seems like if they save all the money that they use to fucking make all those stupid mailers, they could actually like feed the homeless or like something, <laughs> you know. But instead, somebody posted up a, a something that was like uh, Jerry Brown and Meg Whitman spent like 180 million dollars combined yeah. for a a smear campaign yeah. to talk shit. It was a $180 million talk shit yeah. issue. Did you watch it on uh, TV? No, I, I didn't pay attention. I watched it for five minutes and, you know, these two guys, all the women, Meg Ryman and uh, Brown, they're going at it and our state is in horrible condition right now. There's so many problems going on yeah. and the main problems they were talking about is, oh, I heard that you called me a dyke. Well, I heard you did this. And so they're arguing over, bickering over this little things. And these yeah. things have become huge topics. And they have nothing to do with about their job position whatsoever. It's yeah. just all about, it's gossip. It's like everybody wants to hear, you know, the latest scoop. Or this guy did this. And this yeah. lady did this. And what you blah, did blah, in the blah, fucking blah. 70s. Yeah, who cares? Why don't you just find out what they propose and what they oppose. And what their viewpoints are. And how they're going to fix the problems that are going on, how they're going to improve our life, and then that's how you determine your vote, not by you know this person said, "Hey, I heard they called him a dog." <laughs> right. I ain't voting. Right. That's that's it. Well, have you so, noticed like even on like the TV ads, like the the Meg Whitman ones, like yeah. they show like the ugliest photo of her ever. I mean, she's already yeah. kind of like a manly woman. Yeah. But like they find that one where it looks like she has like sunspots, yeah. and she's like. <laughs> Just got run through the ringer and yeah. just haggard. They're trying to it's get like, the look, votes you don't want the, the ugly lady yeah. in here. Like, trying to get the superficial her. guy votes. Oh, fuck that. I don't want to look at her all the time. There's a pretty good <laughs> one that Jerry Brown just put out that I saw today that was um, Meg Whitman basically reciting um, Arnold's. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, I got that. Yeah, I'm about to say. But what's hilarious is that, like, it's sort of. Uh, hypocritical because every election cycle we hear the same, the same fucking 15 catchphrases yes. over and over again and yeah. they keep hitting us with them like we're like as many people that were holding up change and hope for the last presidential election yeah. it's like nixon was doing the same shit you Very fucking true. idiots like you know like they, you keep getting hit with the same thing and you believe it year after year after year you keep banging your head against the wall like an idiot yeah. and the people that made those ads know that's that's what appeals to the public. So they're making more and more yeah. of those ads. Yeah, just particular little phrases that that get implanted into like trying to change people's minds. Yeah. And people who are in that line of work mm -hmm. <clears throat> that they know, they're like, okay, if we take so let's scratch this word and put this word because this is going to make the people feel a certain way and might cause them to. It's and the way that we're able to collect make metadata now, like in terms of what popular opinion is, just by Facebook and Twitter. Conventional wisdom, like, popular opinion, yeah. There was a guy that did one of the TED conferences that created this computer program back, like, probably early 2000s. And it only used um, LiveJournal as its, like, sense of, of, of information to, to troll its data. But it was to, they, he was collecting data to see what people's um, moods were like. Mm -hmm. So it would go through and grab everyone's little status words and um, put it into this big fucking math equation. And would it would grab a hold and tell what people were thinking in particular areas, in a particular time. You could, and you could sort of adjust it to fit like your criteria and pick out certain words and see like how they fit together mm -hmm. and what words were coming up more often. And the guy was like, uh, like on the pulse of what the nation's emotions were at, like okay. on average, you know, mm -hmm. given enough information. That's how they base their advertising and their campaigns. And right. So, well, now campaigns. his was just something kind of pure, mm -hmm. at least initially. 
Turn that fucking ringer all the way down. God damn it. All right. That's your mom, right? Yep. Yeah, and my sister her. and my niece. Sweet. I remember her. I was a kid. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, that was a wild, weird apartment complex we lived in. How long did you live there for? Three years. My mom was the apartment you, manager there. You moved in, what, your first year of high school? Freshman year? Um, seventh grade to ninth grade. Yeah, I want to say that that's about the time that I was there, too. Yeah. Because I got there just... I, I feel like I walked to Greenfield from there. I'm pretty sure I did. So probably eighth grade. Mm -hmm. Eighth grade into into high school. Yeah, I remember going into your room a couple yeah, times and seeing year. your drawings. Uh-huh. Your sketches, some of your first yeah. sketches you had. And there are a lot of uh, facial sketches, if I recall. Uh-huh. Yeah, Since I've always stuff. drawn faces. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't remember back then. You were good. Got a lot better. Yeah, I still <laughs> suck. <laughs> yeah, right. I swear, man. Yeah, you keep getting better, and then you're like, fuck. Sucked before. Yeah, that's the doubt in your mind. Yeah, it's totally insecure. But it's good to keep nonsense. that because it makes you progress. Yeah, totally. If you get to a point where you feel comfortable, then you don't progress in your skills. Yeah. That was a weird dichotomy of, of, of a mixture of different types of people that lived in that, that apartment complex. Like, yeah. I, well, you know, I felt like I really got connected with, like, black culture. Yeah. Some, there. I have like, some close friends still from that time. Yeah. Like, like, like the way a household is ran in, like, a black household yeah. was something totally different yeah. uh, than culture what shit. I was used to. Especially, like, a, a real strict conservative black family. You know, which is, I'm sure, the same as a strict conservative white family, really. So it's like... You remember Terrence? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, Terrence and his brother. Yeah. That was that's one of the houses. Well, that was a military family. So yeah. it was like, you know, shoes off, like plastic on the couch, yeah. uber Africana, like that like <laughs> real like strong sense of heritage. Yeah. Yeah, I, I still mean, talk to them. Yeah, I catch them on the street every now and then. Some yeah, they're trying places. to do a rap thing, got some yeah. rap songs going and that's Sing a little this and that. You know, me and Terrence used to, we would go to the mall mm -hmm. and um, just yell racial, uh, you know, derogatory terms. Because he, he was the black kid and I was the white kid. So, factor. like, yeah, we were, like, testing the boundaries to see, like, what people would do, like, around us. So stupid. But, you know, they were, like... 14, yeah, 15. Yeah, that kind of stuff. But yeah, yeah I might even do it now, just to, with him, you know, <laughs> just to see the reaction. See if you get a different result. Yeah, because it's, 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 it's interesting to, we, I talked about race on the last podcast, about like, what constitutes being racist and what yeah. constitutes being like nonsensical. In like, in this instance, you know, like we know we're pushing the boundaries, like mm -hmm. the intent behind what we're saying is not malicious. Yeah. But we know, like, we're just pulling at other people's maliciousness. Mm -hmm. And we were doing this at, you know, as kids, like, not really understanding the full complexity of what we were really challenging. But we were challenging status quos in that, you know, we were we were talking about a stressful subject, like, forcing it on people. Well, it's impregnated in your heads by the time you're young, by your parents, yeah. and by everybody that you observe, your family, mentors uh -huh. could be negative or in positive fashion but that's just the way it is and no matter how much you say you're not racist or anything like you said someone always says something to pull its strings it doesn't matter how you know much they um, believe in universal equality or anything <laughs> like right, that. Right. it doesn't matter they're gonna one day or another you're gonna say something that's gonna be racist you know quote yeah. racist. so yeah that's just how it goes i mean I have no problem. I'm not racist whatsoever. I love all people equally, but I catch myself saying things that, you know, kind of dumb down other races, but I'm not doing it on a level that I think I'm being offensive, yeah. but yet if someone was listening to me from that race, they might take it offensive, even though I don't think it's offensive. Yeah, for sure. So then it goes even further, like talking about like white privilege. Like I, I did a bunch of research on, on those concepts yeah. and, you know, just, the ideas of of having one little less stress in your mm -hmm. life, one less stress of, of not getting sweated because your skin is a light tone, is is in turn a privilege. Yeah. Because you're you're experiencing something that somebody else can't because of yeah. prior biases and, and skin tone. 
But what's really cool is that we know now genetically that we're all the same shit. Yes. Like, and if you if you you're you're you know you're delusional if you if you disagree based on like weird prejudices or whatever. But you know we find that the genetics are the same with some motherfucker in Iceland as yeah. they are in fucking Southern Africa. Yeah. Like there's genetic traits that are the same. We all fucking came from the same thing eventually. Yeah, and I believe a, a main key element for the progression to keep going in America is for universal equality of race. And that's one barrier that has to be broken for the for us to progress. Yeah, that's worldwide. just my opinion. Yeah, worldwide. And it will not change. It hasn't changed no matter what they say. It makes steps. But that road for full racial equality is not there. Yeah. It's just not there. No matter how much you try to say it and prove it, it's not there. Yeah. And yeah. until it is... And we're not going to progress the way we should. That's that's my opinion. Yeah, but it has to be a universal consciousness thing. Yes. Yeah. Where I mean, I I think we could be heading that way, but I mean, still, like for instance, when I was in San Francisco, mm -hmm. and like I feel like I'm I'm one of the least racist people I know, mm -hmm. um, in terms of like really understanding what equality means and yeah. what what compassion to other human beings really is. Um, but so we're we're walking down this road in the Fillmore, and we're filming for the documentary that I'm doing with Mike Giant, and uh, there's this group of kids, like four black kids on one side of the road, like probably you know, black men around my age, probably like some teenagers or something, and a couple dudes on the other side of the road, and it was like, all right, well this is going to be a challenge, mm -hmm. like I'm gonna get like like there's. A, a risk of violence for yeah. some reason. Like I don't know these yeah. people. Confrontation is you know. going to be based on racial issues. Yeah, yeah. it just because I'm different from you, we're yeah. going to have some sort of tension. Yeah. Now you know maybe nothing will come of it, and I was I was fairly certain nothing was going to come of it. You could feel like it, I'm I'm comfortable with around people, but at the same time I could sense when there is some. There we have those senses that it's like this could be dangerous. Yeah, it's intuition. So what is it about our brains that? Program. Like is it just is it just so coincidence that like this was a dangerous situation because you know like weapons are could be involved there could be crack dealing which is a known neighborhood but I don't know any of these kids they could be fucking at the church choir yeah. all these dudes and they could leave here and go sing in some R and B band it's the and, tension that's been created by what's been instilled in our minds throughout our whole life and by the time you get to that place you know all these things they know those things and it creates that tension it's like a bam explosion and you sense it before you come in it's like a time bomb like right, a fuse right. and when you get to the fucking situation bam it blows and that's where that it's weird it's in, uh, it's instinctual i don't think i've learned it yeah you know like i understand like i what think you've there's seen with your own eyes and you've seen in the news when you read about what you've heard about yeah and that's how it is upon your culture what you've learned in your culture is Caused you to have these feelings. Yeah, yeah. But what's so strange is that is I I typically revolt from my culture. Yeah. You know, like I I question everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because it's it if it's not there in you, it's there in them. Right. So yeah. then I have to be on the defensive. There you go. Yeah. 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 That's weird. Yeah. I uh, <laughs> whenever I talk about these things, I always say the joke that I want to go ask my two black friends about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it's one of those things that's, like, uncomfortable for us to talk about because of all those weird built-up tensions. Yeah, it's turned into a taboo, and it shouldn't even be one. Yeah. It should be something you should yeah. be able to openly conversate. Because if, if I truly don't have and any that's issues... that's something that's causing no universal equality is that taboo. Yeah. There was no problem about that. Think if we can just go in front of... Anybody, any race, ethnicity, and start talking about the problems we have about them or the issues that we feel uncomfortable about and they feel uncomfortable about us without any tension being created, what yeah. would happen? Well, you know so. what, the, what, the, what the problem is, is that people get embarrassed. And it's like... <laughs> That's true. Nobody wants to be told what they're doing is wrong or what they are is wrong. It's, yeah. it's really tough for people to accept things like that. Like, for instance, let's take something extremely minor like somebody driving shitty. Mm -hmm. And you honk at them. Mm -hmm. You're telling them what you're doing right now is pretty lame, and I don't think you should be doing it. Yeah. Now that's the subtext of honk, mm -hmm. and those motherfuckers know it. You know it. You might not admit it. They might not admit it, but you both know what what you're saying. What you're doing something on. wrong. 
So automatically there's that defensive. Like, you're wrong about something, so let's fight. You know? Yeah, and it anger. traps people. It traps people. Well, anger is an emotion that is not there for a long time. And if you can overcome that, it comes right upon you. And if you react on it, it's like a it's like a hungry monster. You feed it, and it gets worse and worse, and you get more angry. Blah! But if you don't feed it, it dies away instantly because right. it can't eat. And then the anger itself dies. So, what do you think it is that is like when you get mad about something, how mm-hmm. it almost feels like some sort of chemical gets released in your brain that makes you want to stay in that mode? Yeah. Like it wants you to be in that suffering phase that like yeah. there's something that keeps you in. It's almost like um, like procrastination. Like how like I sometimes personify uh, procrastination as like mm-hmm. this fucking like evil beast thing. It's like that you have to fucking squeeze by or fight off to, be, yeah. to get to that thing that you want to do. Yeah. But something just like holds you back. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's like, like a fireworks show. Because the fireworks show, they start off with normal ones. And then if you keep feeding, it keeps going. The fireworks get bigger. Then you get the grand finale. You know, the massive explosion. <laughs> yeah. But you got to stop the fireworks from even happening. And you got to change your thought process and right. think about something new. Or think about something positive to eliminate it from even happening. And it's hard. I mean, I can't say oh, yeah. that I have it down because yeah. I get pissed off at times. But one thing I've noticed is that when I start getting mad, I think about myself. So, you know what? You need to check yourself because this is just, just, you know. Just now, let me, ask, let let me ask you this. Have you ever got to that phase where you're like, oh, shit, here, I'm getting into that, that snowball effect of I'm about to get all pissed off. Yeah, like an avalanche rolling down the hill. And then you know, you notice yourself and you, uh-huh. you say you need to stop what you're doing, but then you just don't listen to that voice and go ahead and steamroll down the fucking hill anyway. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, sometimes you get to the point where you, can't, you want to stop, but then the person that you're involved with keeps on feeding it. They start yelling at you more, and then that triggers it up again. So you could, it could be dying away, but then someone comes at you something and starts it right back up. But it's still you, though. It's still you. Yep. It's a beast, man. It's something you just got to take control of. Yeah, it's tough. It's I've been working on that the last couple of years. That's, getting these tattoos on my fingers was mm-hmm. part of that. Like, as a, like one of those recognitions. Were those like, painful? Uh, no. No. The actual tattooing doesn't hurt. Mm-hmm. It's the tattooer rubbing the ink off every time that mm-hmm. just really becomes the painful spot. And plus, you get enough... Your brain produces enough um, whatever dopamine or whatever mm-hmm. happens when you start getting, you know, all your uh, adrenaline kicks in and shit, mm-hmm. and it makes the pain kind of go away. It kind of makes you high almost. So, like, yeah, it's a I've it's a that. natural high, like oh, like a runner's high. What's it? Yeah, totally. Like yeah. your eyes get a little bit blurry. Like that's how that happens to me when I run. It, yeah. um, it happened to me in the float tank. I was uh, I told you I had mentioned this on the previous podcast but i went and got a sensory deprivation tank for the first time yeah after eating mushrooms that day (laughs) that's trippy yeah it it was uh it's like that same type of experience like it's runner's high yeah but uh then that shit goes away once you're once you've ran out of all those brain juices and and you're tired and shit yeah you get worn out uh you feel like you just got beat up a little bit yeah kind of the same way when you have some real great sex it, well, you know, after you after you have an orgasm, our brain releases a, a, a for in males it yeah. releases a chemical that makes us fall asleep. Yeah, and it's you you see it a lot in animals too, but animals have it even worse. Like they fucking pass the fuck out, <laughs> like lions and shit. Yeah. But it's really a, an actual a process that goes on in the brain. The brain's like, all right, here's a little reward for that. <laughs> now you get to sleep really good, you know. So. <laughs> uh. So the the last podcast I taught, my two buddies just came over mm. randomly for a sesh, and mm. uh, we talked a lot about um, Prop 19, yeah, and and weed in general, yeah, you because know, we were smoking the whole yeah. time. Funny, um, but you've been pretty adamant about your uh, about voting no on Prop 19, or at least yes. not adamant about vote about voting yes. You've been yeah, um, I'm all about decriminalizing marijuana. And um, I'm one of those firm believers that you know something's wrong and it's up to you to make that decision not to do it. Um, But I just don't like Proposition 19 because I know how it was uh, written up. 
and it seems like that what they want to do is they want to um, monopolize the marijuana corporization of it and have certain people be able to sell it and then only certain ways for you to buy it. Say, for instance, you get in trouble if you buy it from anybody else except a dispensary or if you don't grow it yourself. Or, um, you know, there's little things that I look at and say, are you serious? That ain't legalization. Or you go outside. Say, for instance, you have a minor in your house. You got your kid in the house and you want to smoke a joint. And you got a neighbor that doesn't like you and those you're smoking a joint calls up the cops. You're smoking a joint, the kid's in there. That's a criminal offense now. And, um, you know, there's several little things that I just don't like about the law. I feel like these, you know, Richard Bell and a couple other guys, they got some cagey lawyers together to write this proposition so they can make a lot of money. And all in all, the feds, they've already made clear that they're going to override this thing and come in and bust your ass if you're even messing around. And there's, there's just too many little things that makes me want to vote no for it. And another thing I look at is they say, oh, well, we're going to make a lot of money off this. The state's going to get out of debt and stuff. Well, if you do some research and you look at the lotto deal where lotto was illegal and they put this big thing on the public saying, you know, hey, we're going to eliminate problems with uh, education. Teachers are going to get paid more. We're going to have more monies for the kids. Better, you know, we're going to progress. Smarter people all around. Yay. But all these, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But all the lobbyists that were for it, they knew that after two or three years, when the budgets would increase and more hands would be in the pots, there would be no profits there whatsoever. Another thing to look at is that with marijuana um, for drug rehabilitation, a lot of people don't know this, but a lot of people go to drug rehab for marijuana use. It's well, you very, know why though, right? Because they have other drug problems as well. Well, no, not not that. See those. I wanted to let you try to get through here, but I'm going to yeah. forget to, to I, like, I might need to make notes for you here. Yeah. But um, what that is, those stats mm-hmm. come, because when you look at stats, man, stats are, are, are laid out in such a way that they present the story that, that mm-hmm. the people who paid for the statisticians want them to tell the story. So when you when you're looking at the uh, the the issues of marijuana and drug habilitation, mm-hmm. that's first time offenders who are going to court. Typically teenagers. That's why we'll see such a huge rise in teenagers. Yeah. You, get, you get two options because I've actually been through this process, so I know. You can do the rehab thing, or you can pay the fine and and get a court a court cost, mm-hmm. and or you know you pay you do all the court shit. You pay your fines, pay your lawyer, do the fucking routine, and pay off your ticket. Or you can go do this rehab. You can go do these classes. You pay your fucking state fifty bucks, and it gets taken off your record. Yeah, and the state has to put money into it to pay for it. So if if we're talking about that as a, as an issue like these people are going because they're addicted to marijuana, mm-hmm. the reality is is they're going to to avoid criminal penalties. Now, mm-hmm. if we eliminate those criminal penalties, we're not going to be seeing those same kids going through drug rehabilitation because they they want to avoid uh, a mark on their record. Yeah, but see the the big problem about that as though is that if say for instance, there's a lot of kids in college, high school. And they know people in their age bracket. And if, say, for instance, someone is 22 years old, and they hand a joint to somebody that's 18 years old, right there, bam, criminal offense, and once this thing passes, and then that's going to send them into the court system for that law, and it's just going to cause this crazy effect of all these minors getting in trouble for getting their friends high. But isn't that the law right now anyway? It's not not as enforced, though. Well, it, it's not going to be any different than whether I handed uh, an 18-year-old a joint anyway. If, if, if we're looking at the actual... Let's say 19 doesn't pass. Me and a nine, uh, me It and won't a nine, pass. Let's say it doesn't. Okay. Me and a 19-year-old are out in the yard smoking a joint mm-hmm. next door to my neighbor who doesn't like, this, like weed and doesn't like mm-hmm. me and wants to rat me out. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. And cops show up. They're going to give me the same ticket as, as if 19 had passed. They're... The criminality level is mm. there. I don't see. There's no difference there. I I understand if 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 you if the train of thought that you're or the the, the idea that you're presenting. Yeah. If if I think the entire population all uh-huh. of a sudden all the people who don't smoke pot smoked mm. pot and the the level of people rose like dramatically, then I could see that argument coming into a more reasonable fruition. 
But my thinking is that it's not going to really increase consumption among people who don't already consume. Yeah. I can see where you're coming from. I just think when this proposition passes, I think it will they'll have a deal to enforce it more. I think that's what they'll do just because of the law. That's the state law, then they'll enforce it more. Right now, they kind of just they shun away from it. They don't really. You can get caught with weed. A lot of times, the cops are going to let you go. Well, that's right now. now with Arnold. Just it's it's almost. But I think they're going to. I think they're going to just going to cause more problems. That's just my opinion, though. I think it's well, going to cause a trickle effect. It's not even a, a effect. criminal offense now, uh, having under an ounce. Yeah. So the you could go, you could have three quarters in your pocket, get mm. caught by a cop, and it's no different besides the monetary value than you mm. getting a jaywalking ticket. You go to court, you pay a little fine, mm. or a traffic infraction. Of some sort that you, as long as you pay off the money that they said, mm-hmm. which isn't decriminalization and isn't good enough for me. Mm-hmm. But well, that's what I like about the prop. It's not decriminalized. All it's doing is, is making it so some people can make a lot of money off selling. But this marijuana. is what it is already. Like right today, well, without it's, it's going to eliminate people. Um, it's going to eliminate these little dispensaries and stuff that are happening in their businesses. They, you know how much the license is to get a marijuana license once it passes. It's like thirty grand for a year or something like that. It'd be like in the way that they set up um, liquor licenses. Yeah, it's stuff. gonna be, and they're gonna they're gonna make it. It's gonna, it's like it's like corporatization. I'm but, way against that. You know, like we were talking about, like the way that people want to make money, and like the mm-hmm. the idea with Lotto is, like, if we look at particularly in San Diego, it's a huge restaurant business, mm-hmm. like, and it's booming, like, like it, with bar restaurants, like mm-hmm. particularly like in the North Park area. Business is fucking booming, mm-hmm. like for the people that are doing it right. Now, all that does, what that does for a community is it, I mean, not that there isn't negatives, but in terms of like economic value, like it gives people jobs. These restaurants are owned by private owners. Mm-hmm. They're, they're supporting their community. They live in their community and, and those monies are being funneled around within the communities. Mm-hmm. So what's just, if, if, you know, we have private restaurant and private bar owners. This, we could do the same thing with marijuana, you know. Yeah. And there's going to be, the, I, the, I think, that's what I, my thinking is that these dispensaries aren't going to necessarily get shut out. They're just going to evolve into something different. At least that's my, well, the you ones know, that that's can't my, afford the huge license fees won't be able to be there. They're not going to be able to stay open. And, there's there's another thing. In I, I haven't heard anything about the licensing fees. Yeah, it's thirty grand per year. And another thing that I've noticed that it's it gets me pissed off when I see it is that okay, say for instance, if you have an ounce of marijuana on you, two ounces of marijuana on you, over an ounce, whatever, you go, they come into your house, and you cannot prove that you bought that from a, a dispensary that has a license or that you did not grow it. That's that's a big time offense. Once it's pushed, but in none there. of that is in the law, though. It's in there. I mean, I've read the law. You sure? Yeah, I've read it several times. There's there's nothing in there that says now it says that you're allowed to possess an ounce, and I'll agree with you. But my one fault that I found with it is that is that definition of possession. Mm-hmm. Now, does possession mean you can only have one ounce inside your home? Does that mean you can only have one ounce while you're out in the public sector, mm-hmm. you know, f- so like. And you can only smoke it in your house. You can't smoke it anywhere else. Well, that's, we're going to have, uh, it's the same thing with alcohol though. Like you can only smoke in bar or drink in bars or drink on your, your private property. You know, you can't go but drink But you're out. allowed to drink in your house in your own privacy if there's kids around as well. You can. You can get obliterated right there with your kids there, and as long as you're responsible, you're allowed to do it. Yeah. With, well, man, with this, you're not allowed to do that whatsoever. If you have two kids, you can't say, hey, kids, get the fuck out. I want to smoke my joint. Come back in three hours when I'm not high. And It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, well, a lot of that is is people's misconceptions about marijuana. And that's yeah. another thing that we need to really dispel is, is the propaganda that's been formulated to tell to place marijuana in a particular light, like it turns you into a crazy Mexican that wants to throw white girls out of windows. You know what <laughs> I mean? Because <clears throat> that's really the truth. It, it gives you the munchies and makes you pull stuff. Or even that, even that silliness, <laughs> like that it makes you act retarded and goofy with your friends and want to eat fucking cheeseburgers and shit. Like yeah. that's not really the reality. No, it like, gives you the munchies and makes you stare at people's crotches. 
<laughs> what the fuck is wrong with that? You know what I mean? So it's like, what are you gonna do? Yeah, I just, you know, I look at it and I just, I will. I'll I think you're adding a little bit more to the laws. I'll vote no for it just because I know the the reason for these people that wrote it out. Their reason wasn't, I want everybody to be able to smoke marijuana free. They're like, no, I want to make some money. Richard Bell, he's like, I'm going to make some money. Give me some money. Let's write this together. Come on, lawyers. Let's be real smart when we write this. Let's make it vague in certain areas so we can make some coin. And we'll get in the people that smoke marijuana because they think they're going to be able to smoke the dope wherever they want and get high and be groovy. And we're going to make some coin off these fools. I don't know, man. It sounds kind of conspiracy theory. I think it's conspiracy. Uh, it's all about money. That guy is making all kinds of money. He has a license. He has one of those commercial licenses. The guy in Oakland. So what's his name? Richard Bell. I think that uh, for me, it's a civil liberties issue. It's an issue of I'm going to tell the feds that they can go fuck themselves and extend some states' rights mm-hmm. and and basically set a precedent for the rest of the states to follow. And even if these motherfuckers like start the raking and dough, what if the feds crack down and they They're not going they're not going to. You don't know that. Because we're it's going to be it's going to turn into a states' rights issue. And if people do start making money, yeah. then I mean we're run by corporate interests. If if somebody's making money, the the corporate interests are going to follow, like, yeah. Yeah, which is not great. But at the same time, it creates fucking local jobs. It uh, it creates income flow that that isn't here. There's no fucking cash. And not only that, it it creates a cash crop for the rest of the nation. Like, imagine if we're able to get these these fucking farmers in Middle America to start growing huge fucking hemp crops, and we can eradicate the use of fucking lumber for for building, for paper, for for all that stuff. And there's no way to do that unless we change what what the federal laws are. And we can't do that until we affect state and local law. But what about the profits? If they harvest X amount of um, acres of that, how much money are they actually going to make off it? Well, here's the thing. All those motherfuckers, all they can grow is corn yeah. and fucking soybeans because they get subsidized by the government. So they're actually... No farmer is turning a profit. The only way they're able to turn a profit is by getting subsidized by the government saying, okay, here, we'll take this fucking tax break off or however. I don't, I don't claim to know how subsidies actually yeah. work. But they're, they're making a dollar on their corn that costs 70, or they're making 75 cents on the corn that costs them a dollar to make. Yeah, well, you, know? you got to look at it as when they're making corn, it's stuff that we're eating and it's making us live and eat. That, well, that's why they have to produce yeah, so much. That, that, that marijuana rope is just going to make some paper and rope. And there's not enough area in the United States to make these huge hemp fields that are going to Oh, dude, undoubtedly paper. there is. It's, yeah. a, it's a renewable resource. The, the, the science is there. Like, the amount of, of, of hemp that we can make in comparison to what it costs in trees to make paper is substantially divided towards the beneficial use of How many of, hemp of, plants does it hemp. cost does it cost to make a piece of paper versus a paper the way they're harvesting it right now? I don't know. I, I don't have those numbers. Well that's that's what I'm it, I think But that's that's not what it's it, about. I think it would just take forever and ever and it just seems endless to grow. But see here's all our, the here's the issue though is that we need to stop cutting down the fucking trees. Yeah. And and hemp is a, a, a fast that's what growing are for. Our computer's going to start sucking no, up all the CO2. No, we got email and stuff, man. We send emails oh, to well, writing on paper. <laughs> yeah, let's get back to all those fucking mailers they just sent my fucking ass. Yeah. Well, my, yeah those politicians just spent in printing. They should just send you emails. Even though that's the bread and butter. <laughs> Crystal works for a print shop. I shouldn't be talking too much. Oh, shit. But yeah, all we got to do is start making hemp paper. No problem. Yeah. And that creates local industry. Even though... Lumber is a local industry too, but we're probably getting a bunch of fucking trees out of China. Yeah. In all reality. Yeah, I don't think they're ever going to make marijuana legal. I mean, no matter how much I'd like to see it happen, I just don't think they'll do it. I just, I think we really need to set a precedent for the rest of the nation, and say this is what this is what we think as a people, because really, we've been misinformed for the last hundred years. We've just been fed a, a smear campaign that a lot of people have believed. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, my buddy was talking about how like a lot of people feel like almost like they have to smoke in the closet. Like, they can't tell their friends at work that they like to have a joint when they come home from work. Like, there's a stigma attached to it. And it's, like, part of that, like, like you're stupid or you're lazy or you're, like, so well, like there's a stereotype. There is a stereotype that some people think about it, but and yet in certain cultures it's very accepted. Yeah. It just counts on the people. Well, it's been out. accepted in most cultures up until the 1920s in America. Pretty socially acceptable for yeah. that. Yeah, it just counts on who you're with and who you socialize with. Um, yeah, I know families that they smoke pot together and they don't care about it, what anybody says about them. It's just a normal yeah. thing. It's just yeah. everyday life. And their whole lives they've been raised up on it. And yeah. They are hard workers. They have successful jobs. Yeah, dude, it's, and, it's, uh, it's insane the amount of people that, that partake. Okay. I just think it should be decriminalized. That's my opinion on it. Just decriminalize it. Let and you don't do think what a yes vote sets that in motion? No, not whatsoever. It's going to cause more problems. Because we, with every well, think, with every little law and every little thing, there's always another side to it. And that will cause more commotion. And there's just going to cause a trickle effect for every little bullshit that's in that proposition. You don't if think, it says decriminalization of marijuana, marijuana is legal. Woo! Then I'd be like, yes, let's do it. And let's, let's start that as a state. But if since there's all these little things involved, then no, I'm not going to do it. But don't you think it's the same as alcohol or tobacco? Like, there's laws based on alcohol and tobacco, but would you... All right, let me ask you this. Would you say that tobacco and alcohol are legal? Are, decriminal, are non-criminalized? Decriminalized? No. You think they're, they're only partially legal? The laws that are stated, it's good for society. I don't like the laws that they're trying to put on problem. My team, like, say, for instance, with alcohol, um, they have the breathalyzer. You know, they try to catch DUIs. With marijuana, there is no such thing as a weedalyzer that they can check if you're stoned or not. Um, if you're in a house... Well, what does that mean? What do you... What is... What well, is that... Well, say, for instance, you get pulled over and you got red eyes and you're tired and the cop looks at you and goes, you know what, you're stoned, mister. I'm giving you a fucking DUI. That's $10,000 ticket. You're going to jail. I'm sending you to jail. But if when you're drunk, the cop's going to be, okay, come outside. Do this, 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 breathalyzer. You're drunk. You're going to jail. Let me ask you this, though. Isn't that the, the case now? Without 19 or with 19? Just the same as I had mentioned before, if... If the cops saw me smoking a joint with a 17-year-old or an 18-year-old, I would still get in trouble for contributing to a minor, whether 19 passes or don't or doesn't pass. So if I'm driving high, mm-hmm. I still take those same risks, whether it's legal or not legal, and the cop still has to make that judgment call. Regardless, because the, the same people that are driving while high are the same people that are driving on while high whether 19 passes or, or doesn't pass. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I see what you're saying, but I just don't like how it's stated in the... Pro- I just don't like how it's worded in the proposition. If there's too many vague words in there that just leave it open for a discrepancy of judges, for other parties involved, and I just don't like that whatsoever. Say, Do you think that a, that a political party could actually write a bill that isn't wordy and I don't know that yeah. I've ever seen a bill that is is not particularly written in lawyer weird talk. You know what I mean? Like what yeah, what would true. be the but, but like, see the thing is it, it could be wordy to some person in a positive fashion and to another person it could be wordy in a negative fashion. It counts what your viewpoints are and what you feel about something. So if I can look at something and say, oh well that's wordy and it seems too sketchy to me, I'm not gonna vote for it, but then the other person can look at it and go, you know it is a little wordy, but I like where it's going, so I'm going to vote for it. It just counts on your personal opinion. I start my city with a brick, One brick. then add another brick. brick. Brick by brick, I manufacture home. You want to talk about Freemasonry? You sure, you start. That? I'll, I'll walk down the road right. with you. So, uh... That's how I'm going to start all my questions. So, uh, <laughs> I should just make a, so, just make a, uh, a little button that I just hit. So, uh, um, you're thinking about joining the Freemasons, am I correct? Yes. 
And what sort of led you to that path? Was this something? Was this something that you've thought about for? Well, I already have joined. Oh, you have? You're in? Yeah, yeah. I've already have joined. You've joined? Yes. Have you performed any? Have you done any Initiation. of your initiations? Yes. You did your first initiation? Yes. I know you can't talk about it, but I know what you had to do. Um, some of the. Uh, See how we can phrase this. So you can word it. So I'm, yeah, I'm trying to word it so you you don't have to say anything that you're not allowed to say. What like led you to Freemasonry? Like, what led me to it? Yeah. Um, what led me to it is when was the first time you heard about Freemasonry? When I was exposed to it. Uh, the first time I was when I was a child, I was always around it, but I wasn't aware of it. Um, my father's father, my grandfather, he's from South Carolina, and he he was a Shriner. And he was a Freemason, and his father was a Shriner and a Freemason at the Grand Lodge. Which a Shriner there. is somebody who's gone through all the yeah, the fake, all the degrees of Freemasonry. degrees. Yeah, he went through the thirty-two degrees. He was a Shriner, and um, when I was a child, I used to go in his room, and he'd always be sitting with his magnifying glass reading his Masonic Bible, and he'd be every all the time I go in there, he'd be going through that sucker just in and out all the time. And, you know, every once in a while he'd do little funny jokes, like when all the grandkids are outside playing in the pool and my family was out having little family gatherings. He'd come out and he had, you know, like a little puppet monkey. Uh-huh. And he'd come out with his fez on. <laughs> and he'd come out with it and he'd, like, do little things and, you know, just little funny stuff. Yeah, right. He worked with a lot of kid child foundations uh-huh. and stuff like that. But I wasn't aware of what it was. Uh-huh. Well, they're famous for working with children's yeah. hospitals. Yes. Yeah, and that he was, you know, very philanthropic. Famous. Yeah, and, and he worked for the Shriners Hospital and all that stuff. And um, I wasn't aware of anything about Freemasonry. And on my mother's side up in Ramona, um, they've been, you know, all the men are Freemasons. It just runs all through my history. Uh-huh. I, I can trace it back generations at a time. And um, when my great-grandpa Jimmy passed away, it was the first time I was noticed about it. They were giving a tour of the ranch. And everybody was going around. And in my uncle's room, there was a big old chest with all these weird car- carvings on it. Uh-huh. Masonic carvings in yeah. the old chest. And his wife went, my Aunt Claire went up to it and said, this is Jimmy's Masonic, um, you know, all of his stuff. Yeah. His, his um, Templar Knights stuff. His rings, all of his, you know, his caps, you know, all of the stuff that he had that he earned all through Freemasonry, and he was 33rd degree Freemason, and he was the Grand Lodge of, you know, the Grand Master of his Lodge of Ramona for over 20 years he was there, right. and um, she was very, very delicate with it, and she opened it up, and she wouldn't let anybody look in it, and, you know, she was just very, very honorful over it, and I, mm-hmm. I looked at it, I said, you know, what's that, and I looked at it, I'm like, well, my grandpa was a Shriner, and I started naming off all my family members. I said, oh, they're all Freemasons. I'm like, what is it? And then my, you know, my uncle started talking to me about it and telling me about it. And that's what opened up the door. And I started researching into it and um, just learning about it. Yeah. I came to you one day and talked to him about it. And uh, then I talked to Andrew about it. And um, Yeah, it's been something I've been interested in for... For some time now. And I really like because it, it just gives you a lot of insight. and It's all about progressing. Uh-huh. Totally. And, uh, it's into some weird shit, too, though. Yeah, but there's... What's your definition of weird shit? Yeah, right? Right? <laughs> that's, a, that's, the, that's the point of the, of the yeah. podcast today, right? Yeah. Like, yep. understanding other people's realities. Yeah. Like, what other people are facing and going through. Yeah. And not judging. Being yep. open-minded about things. You motherfuckers are creepy. <laughs> no, when, well, you know, when I learned about it, I was an atheist. So, yeah. you know, atheists aren't allowed. Yeah. You know, you know nope. that's, the, that's the rule. You can't right get there. in there if, yeah. uh, if, you, if you don't believe in the um, the one. Yeah. But see, my, my definitions, that I, was, I was trapped in definition. Mm-hmm. And I sort of... I'm still not able to say that a god exists, mm-hmm. even though I think I'm God. <laughs> God's uh, in all of us, but we're that, not. That's God. what that's what I mean. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, I really, I, I I try to define it, but when I start defining it, I realize that I'm being a stupid fuck. Mm-hmm. You know, 
but really just as an atom. Or whatever energy, whatever energy is that exists inside that little fucking sphere, whatever happens down in that little zone, like that's God because that's the creator of all things. And biblical stories and all the mythologies that we've built are all just a rep- representation of our own brain. Yeah, well, you can. And if we're up. talking about it on that level, uh-huh. then you do become God. I mean, if we're, and I know that becomes a heresy, but if you look. Uh, I was listening to Alan Watts this morning, and he was talking about how really Jesus Christ was the first heretic, even though there was there was Old Testament heretics. But like to really say you're God is uh, is tough for a lot of people to to deal with because we we for so long personified this about. old guy in the sky. Mm-hmm. You know, that we, that we well, it's, what's interesting is that if you look at a lot of stories in the Bible, all those stories, a lot of them they already written. But just in different religions before, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of people don't look at that. You should, uh, you should invest in this book, my friend. This is the um, metaphysical Bible dictionary. Mm-hmm. Crazy. So it it has like every person, city, random shit that's in the Bible, mm-hmm. and it talks about what it's. Uh, allegorical meaning really is so it'll have it'll say where it's from what what part of the bible it's in and then it goes into what uh the the metadata is on each thing so what what these things actually represent so like the people the cities the towns all that stuff has all hidden symbolic meaning that isn't the literal interpretation Mm-hmm. which is something that's been done throughout history. Smart people have always hid true meaning inside allegory mm-hmm. as a way to keep the sheeps kind of just following that line. Yeah. It's almost like too much information makes the weak-minded explode, you know? And that shit gets hidden. And then the, as you've learned that stuff as you go along in, in your processes, which I'm sure you already know, but... Yeah. Uh, I think that that's a big part of the Masonic teaching is, is figuring out all those allegories that are presented out there that, yeah. listen, this life isn't really what it looks like on the cover. Yeah. you got to open up them guts and look what, it, what is really going on. And that's the problem with religion today, is that there's too many literalists. Yeah, I get it. I mean, Jesus, I, Jesus I think, is an allegory for ourselves. Like, Jesus didn't even have to exist. Yeah. I think Jesus is an allegory for everyone in that everyone is God. And then, you need to raise these higher level of consciousness to try to attain these levels of divinity. Well, the story of Jesus, if you look at it like this, is that when he died on the cross, what he was trying to do is he was trying to show unconditional love that God has for us, his real love that he has for us. He, he loves us so much that he would say, you know what, here's my son, I'll kill him for you. But see, I don't take that as a literal... And have you know the story of Abraham, where he goes up and he has his child, and he asks God, oh, oh he's going to kill him. And then God says, no, don't kill him. Just He's just trying to show it's in a proof of unconditional love. And then if you look at the story of Jesus itself, all right, well, he's 30 years old. Where was he beforehand? Oh, he gets baptized by John the Baptist. He gets beheaded. You know, for three years, you know, three years, the number three... He performs all these miracles, and then when he's 33, supposedly his best friend that thinks he's the best thing since sliced pie, trades him in for a little bit of money, and then he dies, and then three days later, he comes back. So, you know, come on, let's let's Uh, think the story is just like that. It's it's allegorical. If, yeah. you, if you take it literal, then it's a different. It's a totally different. Well, that's story. what people do. Yeah, right. If you look, if you go to a Christian and you say, "I don't believe Jesus died on the cross," and three days later, you imagine telling them that I don't believe Jesus Christ even existed. Well, for then, me, Christianity doesn't they look, even. They look at you oh like, my Lord, like I'm a crazy person, yeah. right? But for me, Christ, Jesus Christ did not have to exist, and most likely did not. Uh, but the teachings of Christ is what's valuable. And what it is is that those teachings were those same teachings that from different cultures that had yeah. passed on. Yes, just in different words. Right. right. Yeah. Did we, well, how did we start? Oh, Freemasonry. So, you got involved. Now, 
were you nervous about your 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 first degree? No. You felt pretty comfortable? Yeah, because um, for a while, the stuff I started learning in it, the stuff that I've already believed in in my life. I mean, for a while now, I've turned myself out to the materialistic part of the world. Um, you know, there's the teachings that I was taught in the first three degrees was stuff that I've been going by. It's just like stuff my grandparents taught me and my mother taught me. Uh-huh. And a lot of it is in religion itself. If you look in Christianity and the religion, it's just worded in different ways. Yeah. And so, no, nah, I wouldn't nervous at all, man. I feel like what I've about, been through it. Like, so do you not, do you, or how you're, are you comfortable with public speaking? Yeah, I love yeah. it. I love speaking to the masses. It's, yeah. it's just something I've always been, have a liking to. I mean, I, I, the more people there, the more comfortable I feel. The less people. So getting up and doing a sort of theatric performance where you, you know, you got to memorize things and, mm-hmm. and announce things wasn't, it wasn't like, it didn't get the butterflies going or anything? No. Well, see, I would, even though I, I would be fully prepared for everything I had, like, I know what the process is, like, yeah. I would be nervous. I don't know. No, no, no butterflies or nothing. No. You know, part of me, like, because I try to keep it so real and be so honest with myself mm-hmm. all the time. Like, I don't try to be, like, fake about shit. Mm-hmm. Like, doing, like, the dress-up stuff and, like, the performance <laughs> aspect. Yeah. Like, I would feel kind of goofy, you know? Yeah. Like, and not to not to downplay well, I, it. I could see the mindset that it puts but in. That's, that's, that's the my first own. part, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm doing it. And then you see the audience, like, oh, my gosh, it's It would be my own insecurities, yeah. you know? Like, my yeah. own fears about, yeah. like, what how people are judging me. I see it as it's... a. I'm progressing, and I'm embracing it, and I'm going to take it in with all that I am, and I will show everybody that I'm worthy of it, and bring it on. What do you want me to do? Let's do this. I'm going to go all wherever you want to take me, so let's do this. <laughs> what if uh, What if they ask you to uh, like praise worship to some unfamiliar God that you're not aware of? Do you think you'd feel comfortable with that? Like, Let's say you're late into the game. And I'm not saying that's going to happen, or is going to happen, or isn't, but, uh, like, if, if you're asked, and maybe, maybe we shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't ask you this question, because this will be on the internet. Um, what, do you have any expectations for what you want to get out of Freemasonry? Do you, do you, do you find, like, you have a, a like, a set place where you think you're going to get let out on the other side, or just another experience in life? Can I answer your questions for you? <laughs> I, you know, I really enjoy it because I feel it brings me close to good people. Uh-huh. And it's, it's a brotherhood and um, it's, in, it's in a positive aspect. It's not like we're going out in your game. You're yeah. not doing bad stuff. You're doing good stuff. And um, I really enjoy it. I like talking with people and getting to know people and doing things to, you know, help benefit society. You get free beer? together. Got some good breakfast. Nice. <laughs> Thank you for tuning into this episode of the podcast. Um, these things are getting a little bit easier as we go. The editing is getting a little bit easier, a little quicker. The um, interview style, I think, is a little better. The first one was it was really free form, so it was kind of nice to get into a, a slightly more structured conversation. I'm gonna try to get one more interview done before I leave for Philly next week. If you're in the area, make sure you check out my show at the Slingluff Gallery on November 6th. And you can check out their website at slingluffgallery.com. If you've got any questions or comments, feel free to send me an email at uh, info at mikemaxwellart.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter at mikemaxwellart. Or just check out the website mikemaxwellart.com. Thanks for tuning in. Check back next week. And make sure you uh, subscribe to the RSS feed so you can just get updated via iTunes. All right? Be good. Today's live free podcast music was sung free by the Rolling Stones. One brick by Aesop Rock and fighting in a sack by the ships. Mm-hmm.